Welcome back to the DC Freecast. I am joined, as always, by my pals Vince and Zach. And with us tonight, special guest, Multiversity Editor Emeritus, my friend, Walter Richardson. How are you, Walt? I'm doing all right. How's law school? It's terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that, my friend. How many more semesters? Uh, Three counting a summer one. Okay. So this time next year, party at Walt's house. You're all invited. Okay. <laughs> well, you three, not anyone who's listening to this. Someone, someone, maybe. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the Brian Azzarello, Cliff Chang run of Wonder Woman in the New 52. This is part of our New 52 in review series. You've already heard us talk with Ken about Gotham Academy and with Alice about Action Comics. Now it's Walt's turn. So um, also, please stay tuned after our conversation for Vince and I uh, talking with Cliff Chang. We got to talk to Cliff last week. And Vince, uh, no spoilers, but it's a pretty great talk, isn't it? Oh, yeah. He was awesome. Yeah, he was he was super cool and gave us some nice insight and uh, was a, a very, very generous guy with his time. So thank you again, Cliff. So, um, Walt, you picked this book as what you wanted to talk about. Why is this the New 52 book you wanted to focus on? Well, I think it's hard to deny, in my opinion, that it is probably the best. You know, everyone loves to talk about Snyder's Batman, and I like what I read of it. Uh, I haven't, I am not completely up to date, but it is just a damn good comic. We, we can get later to whether or not it's a great Wonder Woman comic. I think there's some room to quibble there, but man, Azarello and Chang just put together this awesome epic that it's, it's going to be read for a long time to come, which especially with Wonder Woman, unfortunately is something you don't always hear. So I think it's interesting that Wonder Woman is a character that has, you know, a ton of mainstream recognition that's been around forever, that is part of DC's Trinity, and yet there aren't a lot of classic Wonder Woman stories, as Walt alluded to. Do you guys think uh, there is something inherently tough about writing Wonder Woman that was... um, that was conquered here, you know. Like, did they crack something here, or is it just that the it has there haven't been that many instances of the right creative team being on a book? Well, when you don't let women write Wonder Woman, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean that, that that that's part of that is is um, that's why Ezreal and Chang's run is so impressive to me because if you would ask me to put together uh, a creative pairing. For Wonder Woman, I mean, I'd pair those guys on a lot of different books. I before this, I would not have necessarily thought of them for Wonder Woman, and maybe that was part of the magic because they gave us something that was outstanding and completely unexpected. Um, I think a lot of times, writer, first of all, you know, DC doesn't necessarily know what to do with their female characters. Um, you know, at least. At least up to the uh, the new fifty two, uh, or our current current state of things right now, they haven't always known what to do with their female characters. I don't think. Um, I think that's a problem in comics in general. Um, but I think that most people that did get a chance to write her played it really safe, and I don't think you could say that about Azrael and Chang. I mean, they did things that. Uh, were really bold from a visual standpoint that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a Wonder Woman comic, and they um, kind of shook her world up a little bit in a way that upset some people, and for others it was completely refreshing. So um, I, I don't know. I think I think I think the fact that you wouldn't necessarily put these two guys on Wonder Woman just by looking at them was kind of inherent to the magic that they brought to it yeah i agree um i've always been kind of like fascinated with like the history of wonder woman comics just in that there aren't that many of like what i would consider to be definitive runs necessarily like there's obviously the rucka run which is really well respected and 
Gail Simone's run as well. Um, but you don't hear those talked about in the same breath as, you know, some of the bigger uh, Superman and Batman runs, which I think is really unfortunate and kind of indicative of how the character has unfortunately kind of, you know, played that that distant third in the Trinity. Um, yeah, kind of like what you guys have alluded to a little bit, I don't necessarily think this is necessarily the best um, Wonder Woman comic. Maybe maybe not the best Wonder Woman run or even the best representation of Wonder Woman, but as a as a comic, it is one of the best that I've read from DC in, in quite some time. And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I just, I, I was head over heels for this book when it was coming out, and I still think very highly of it. Well, you were the first person to sort of float the idea that maybe this wasn't a great Wonder Woman comic. Um, you want to go a little bit more in depth with that and kind of share what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I think it's a great comic. That's why I wanted to talk about it. But a complaint that I've seen about it that on reflection I've realized has a good deal of merit is the I, recently uh, we've seen a lot of Wonder Woman in the armor with the sword, you know, all that, you know, uh, being a god of war, either figuratively in comparison to, you know, the often uh, made Kratos point for those of you who are going to video games uh, or in this or in this case you know literally she becomes the god of war that's kind of become you know what wonder woman is but you know it, she has more of a history of a figure of peace and i think that's a valid complaint about the azarello run to and azarello and chang run that she isn't really like you know solving problems diplomatically which was kind of uh, what was going on with Ruka with uh, George Perez it's the idea of her more of a diplomat instead we kind of go straight to the what was previously when things have gone wrong and there's no other choice now that's kind of become her default and that's my fear for the legacy of the Azarello Chang run as much as I like it we're just going to move more and more toward Wonder Woman being a figure of war. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, and I think it's one that people perhaps are um, are quick to forget when the run is really good. If that makes sense, like you know, mm-hmm. I think for all of us that maybe wasn't on the tip of our tongues because we were really enjoying the book. And, oh, sure. you know, so you're willing to look past it because it's working, but it's there's a difference between something being good process or something being having good results. And I think all of us can look at it and say that for us, our Wonder Woman is, you know, as Walt said, perhaps more practical, more willing to solve problems without just punching their way out of it. Um, but... I mean, can we all agree that this is among the best two or three Wonder Woman runs from our lifetime, or from at least from our from our comics reading lifetime? Oh, I think for sure, easily. easily. Yeah, it's easily the best since I started. Cause yes. I, I mean, yeah, but Brian, I want to back up to something you said, um, if that's all right with sure, you. Sure. Yeah. Um, you said that it's 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 easy to forget that maybe there's there's an aspect of something you don't like about it when you're enjoying everything else so much. Mm-hmm. I think that's true of comics. Um, I think you see that all the time. And I think the the clearest case of this is the whole, you know, DC grim and gritty thing that they've been, it's kind of an, been an albatross around their neck for the last, two decades i would say two or three decades even uh-huh. yeah you know, since, since frank miller really um that goddamn frank miller yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh um but the reality is grim and gritty is fine when the storytelling is good and the art is good and the writing is good i mean i bet i bet all of us could come up with 10 really great stories that are also grim and gritty 
you know, that came out of DC in the last three decades or, Mar- or Marvel. Yeah. What's that? So they could come up with 20. Yeah. Right. Right. It's all, it's all about, it's all about the overall product, you know? And I think the thing about Wonder Woman holding a sword and being a warrior is that that is a role that she can easily fill if the writer is smart about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think Azarello and Chang were pretty smart about how they depicted that. Um, yeah, there was a lot of fighting in this comic, but I also felt that Wonder Woman was often the voice of reason. You know, I mean, she 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 was never painted as someone who was irrational or or um, you know went headlong into something without thinking it through you know i mean mm-hmm. to, to me she came off as a, as a pretty pretty diplomatic person despite the fact that she's you know being lumped in as the as the god of war now and i think and and i but i but i'm i'm right with you there walt about fearing for her future because of this because um i don't think the finch run in particular was uh was huh? smarter what huh what huh huh Huh, Finch? Uh, I mean, they canceled the book before there was any. No, 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 no. I, I just, you know, I think the Finch run. I think. Um... Huh? <laughs> just kidding. Go ahead. Wow. <laughs> and I think the, I think the, uh, I think her appearance in Batman versus Superman, Batman v, Batman very Superman. I'm sorry, I forgot the. The DC three. DC three. Uh... Right. Yeah. I thought it was uh, Batman Vincent Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, I don't think her to pick. Well, she was easily probably the best thing in that movie. Um, Sorry, Batman Five, Superman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never forget. Oh man, uh, we're just so up our own asses. Right yes, now. we are. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that it was that nuanced of a take, you know. And that's what I'm worried about going forward. Whereas I think Azarello and Chang did about as well with that as you you could hope for so uh anyway in in my long and rambling fashion i uh, i i agree with what you say but you know it's it's easy to to also dismiss something for for the small quibbles you have with it of so, course yeah. yeah you know um one of the things that i i think about a lot is baseball, obviously, uh, for those that know me. And like Walt's team, the Washington Nationals, now has a former Met on it, Daniel Murphy. And Murphy is one of those players that the results always are better than the process. He's, he's sloppy at the plate, but he gets a lot of hits. And I feel like that is the definition of DC over the last five or six years, that sometimes they've hit on some really great things, but their process for putting together their books is just god-awful most of the time. And I wonder if... Okay, let, let me let me take it from a different place. Do you guys think that Azarello and Chang just have a they came in with a with a body of work that let them be left alone, that their pitch was just strong enough and that they were doing their job well enough to be left alone? Or is or was is Wonder Woman such a low priority for DC that they were given more leeway? Like essentially, why do you guys think that they were able to do their thing when so many other teams weren't? Well, if I may put my tinfoil hat on, I don't think it's either of them. I think it's that Azarella knows where the bodies are buried, you know, <laughs> because there were there were teams with great visions. There were team there were books that didn't matter. None of those were escaped the uh, grasp of DC editorial, except yep. for Wonder Woman. Yes, and if you think that they didn't care about Wonder Woman, don't forget that they basically spent five years forcing her to in, into a prominent relationship with Superman <laughs> where go. they could have, where they could have easily taken her, her, um, you know, solo title and, and capitalized on that synergy that they were trying to create. Um, really, I think it's a miracle that we ended up with this run. And I really do. I really do believe in this case that, well, I agree with what Walt said. I think Azarello probably has, um, more cachet than we than we even realize. Um, I also think that you know, even DC is capable of seeing what two or three of their books at any given moment are truly critically acclaimed and worth you know keeping in a in a 
more or less pristine state. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think just, I, even uh, even a company like that has to see how well Wonder Woman and Snyder's Batman is doing. You know, go ahead, Zach. Uh, I just think that they made him do Future's End in return. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was going to say they made him do Before Watchmen in return. Oh, I forgot about that. A bitch to be you, Zach. Oh, man. Time to shit. What <laughs> book did he do? He did the uh, the question and... Um, the question? Not the question. I, I see, what, see where my brain goes, guys? See how DC I am? He did Rorschach. Charlton Charlatan. Yeah. yeah he, and, and, and the question. Yeah. Jesus. I wish no. he would do the question. <laughs> and, and the comedian. <laughs> And, and the comedian. I'm sorry. Yeah, Rorschach and the comedian. Both with uh, great one-liners. Yes. Oh, man, before Watchmen. That you seems know, like a fever dream. It really does. You just reminded me of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I agree with what Walt said earlier about um, the one, about his, you know, why this may not have been the best take on Wonder Woman herself. Um, but I think I come at it more from the fact that I think when I think back on this run, I tend to remember the supporting cast more That's than I do big. Wonder Woman herself. That's what do you guys segue. think? That's a great segue. Cause I think that's where I was going to go next. Um, yeah. The cast and particularly the way that Chang rendered everyone oh my god i mean like every every issue there was a new character or a new villain with an interesting design yeah that that just blew me away because these are the greek gods they've been interpreted at this point literally millions of times and yet so many of these i'm like wow that's such a great idea you know of this of you know poseidon or of apollo somehow despite these characters being around so long He's, he was able to tap into something new about them. Yeah, yeah I think Hades was probably one of my favorites. Or the oh, fact yeah. that that um, who, War, what's War? Uh, Ares. Ares, Ares yeah. right. The fact that Ares looked just like Brian Azzarello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the frustrations for me with reading this run was you look at the way that Azarello and Chang created this this new version of a world we all knew, of, of certain characters we all knew, and it felt fresh and exciting. I felt like this could have been what the New 52 was top to bottom. Oh. Specifically in terms of the um, supporting cast. I think you guys are right on the money. I think that between the gods and then later on we get the new gods as part of it and you know it just the book felt entirely it felt both like it was the only book that mattered but also it felt like there was a whole world you weren't seeing around each corner and the best comics to me make you look at the periphery and say oh what's going on over there you know that's really interesting and so Maybe that's one of the reasons we wouldn't consider this a great Wonder Woman run because Wonder in in many ways, unfortunately, Wonder Woman is the the least exciting part of many of the issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you make a very good point in bringing up the new gods because I feel having the series be completely independent of anything else from DC was very smart at the beginning. I think the inclusion of the new gods, was it uh, the second or the third arc when they first showed up? I want to say Orion showed up at the end of the first arc, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. End of the first. Okay. Earlier than I thought. But like you only saw him right. like, fl- like flying away. Yeah. Right. Um, but I felt that like brought a lot to like make this feel like, okay, this is still part of the DC universe. And maybe at this point it's a DC universe we don't know much about, but it's still the DC universe. And I I felt that was a good way to kind of make it feel like a part of something bigger without having, you know, constant references, tie-ins, any crossovers, anything like that. 
Yeah, we were talking about this with Cliff. I think the only vestiges of DC crossover that we got were the September theme months, the Villains Month, the Future's End Month, and uh, was it the Zero Issue Month? Right? There's a Zero Issue. Definitely. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there was a Future's End Month for Wonder Woman. No, there was. And uh, really? Chang was, was talking about how... Soul wrote it, didn't he? I believe so, yeah. But Chang was talking about how... Uh, and spoiler for 10 minutes from now, but um, about how they initially wanted that to be the end of their run. Interesting. That they, they wanted to end the run with what happened five years later. That's that's just the thing, you know, like with these, you know, they had these ones where there are theme months, but say you're just reading the book through trade, you wouldn't know that. It would, it would just seem like part of it. The uh, Both the Secret Origin issue, the number zero, and the Villains Month one were folded seamlessly within the narrative, pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of the reason that you're just kind of circling back to make this point again, part of the reason that they were left so alone is that Wonder Woman is is a big deal in theory, but her book is not a big deal. And so I think they were able to get more leeway on the book than they would have if they were on Superman or they were on Batman. You know, they were able to kind of keep it more insular. And I think because it was working, you know, by the time... Those that zero issue was was the thirteenth issue of the series. If we're going in chronological order, mm-hmm. by that point they knew they had a hit on their hands, and they probably thought, you know, yeah, we can we can let them, you know, do this without too much editorial uh, meddling, and so they let them kind of be off on their own little little world there. And because of that, they were able to build their own supporting cast, and because of that, they were able to keep the tie-ins, you know, to a minimum. It seems like the book was a perfect balance of critically successful, commercially successful, but not so commercially successful that they felt they had to really exert editorial control over it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's about to change because uh, Wonder Woman is the best thing about the <laughs> the Warner Brothers movies right now. So I yeah. have a feeling like her book is going to matter to them quite a bit and because Uh of the creative team on rebirth yes yeah yeah um obviously they put a lot of cachet behind it um going into rebirth but then i i wonder what happens after rucka leaves because i don't see him staying more than a year or year and a half maybe he claimed he was going to try and do i think it was two years I thought he said 24 issues, which would be one year of double shipping. Well, I, he said that was like his minimum. Okay. Okay. Well, that would be great. Um, I don't know how much we want to talk about, uh, you know, if this is New 152, New 52 yeah. in review, <laughs> if we want to talk. But I I did have some thoughts about with uh, Rooka. Of course, I love Rooka's Wonder Woman. At the same time, I feel like kind of what some of the stuff I've been hearing, you know, both from the solicits from him it's felt like a kind of i, I hate to say it because i love Ruka, but it feels kind of petty like you know from even just from like a narrative perspective you're seeing this stuff about the truth you know the truth behind wonder woman and the lies and it, it kind of feels like again i was the one who was just saying earlier that maybe this maybe the as and chang wasn't the best wonder woman but it feels kind of like a bit like well, that wasn't really Wonder Woman. <laughs> and I, again, I feel kind of hypocritical for criticizing it for that same reason earlier, but at the same time, I feel we kind of have to move on in that regard. And also, when like uh, the first promo image came out from, oh, I, is it? Liam Sharp. Liam Sharp, yes. Um, I saw like Rooka say something like, See, she's smiling. She does that. And I, again, that felt like kind of like a jab at the As and Chang that felt misplaced because, you know, in their run, she goes out to a club and, you know, they're. Yeah. I felt that was more of a. Of a jab a, at DC. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. Especially because if you think about it, I mean, the Finches joined the book at 30. Ah, uh, what? 
<laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Azarello and Chang left at thirty-five, I think. Right, thirty-six, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Five, yeah. 35. Well, no. Yeah, thirty-five. I think. And right. so there's going to be twelve. Book to tell us. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but there's going to be twelve or so issues, like a year or so, without them on the book that is directly leading into Rebirth. So I feel like even if the Azarello and Chang run was the the greatest of all time, you still have a year of of the book being less than great, and you have you know, four years or so of Superman and Wonder Woman being forced into a relationship and you have the sword wielding uh, espionage of Batman v Superman, all that, you know, you have to take all of that in balance. And I think that's what Rucka was was trying to do was just say like, look, this is not necessarily the Wonder Woman of 2015, 2016. Well, well, in that case, he should have said, see, she's wearing clothes. She does that. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking of half-naked Donna Troy. I am, I know. Come on. (laughs) I think about it often. No, no, no. (laughs) So, um, I guess, why don't we each pick sort of our favorite moment of the run and talk about it for a second? Uh, Because I'm springing this on you guys, I will go first. I think my favorite single panel of the whole run was that first Orion panel because it was not spoiled for me. When I, when I read that book, I did not know that was there. And at that point, I was trying to not read the solicits. I was trying to go into this stuff as blind as I could. Oh, how that has changed. And, um, and I was legitimately shocked to see it. And it blew my mind because it seemed like for me, the new gods were always a distinguishing feature of the DC universe, something that set DC aside from everything else. It was what part of what made DC DC to me, and the New 52 had not felt that way at all. And so to see this glimmer of DC glory at the end of a book, and to, for it to be Orion, it was one of my, one of my favorite characters, and to see it happening in this book that I already loved, to me it was that was the culmination of everything I wanted this book to be. It was in that one panel. That was mine too, Brian. I'm sorry, Zach. <laughs> well, so I'm I, gonna go, I'm gonna go before Vince possibly steals mine. Like yeah, go ahead, Zach. The thing that sticks with me most uh, of any sequence within the uh, a great run is uh, when the firstborn says something when they're having their big face down with the firstborn and uh, what would it be like uh, somewhere in the 20s 25 mm-hmm. something like that anyway and Ares approaches the firstborn and the firstborn says something to the effect of you know what soldiers follow you old man and then there's that awesome full spray full uh, page spread of Aries saying all of them. And there's kind of like, you know, in the background, a figure that looks more like how we imagine Aries, not like Brian Azzarello, you know, he's got the horn helmet and there's all those, you know, soldiers from across time. Mm -hmm. It's just a pure rule of cool moment. There's nothing smart about it. There's there's nothing uh, particularly deep, or interesting about it it's just awesome like perfect uh use of we've got like a the page before it just kind of normal comics panel by panel then you turn the page and there's that just thump, you know and of course that's sold by chang's art you know he's an incredible artist in that page he just did such great detailing of all these different like i think you've got uh native americans in there knights templar all sorts of stuff. It's just doesn't matter how smart it is. It's just still manages to be great comics. Yeah, that's that's a great moment. Um, was it yours? What's that? It wasn't no, yours. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't mine. It wasn't what Good. I was going to talk about. Um, I could talk about so many moments. That, there's probably a moment or two in every issue that that was stunning. You know. Um, even when Chang wasn't there, Goren Suzuka and Tony oh, Akins, yeah. um, they did 
tremendous fill-in work, and I, I kind of want to highlight that with my moment because uh, my the thing that the thing that sticks with me the most is any time uh, Poseidon was was involved. Um, just the scale, you know, like the the way yeah. that the artists play with scale, and just the design work, like just this, you know, he's like this massive. Um, you know, octopus-like creature. Is it Zora? What's that? Is it Zora? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. From from uh, from Ocarina of Time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. Yes. Exactly. And and just like whether it was an epic fight or just like him saying a quip or something, he was just this presence in the comic and and all three artists got to draw him at different points and they all did just tremendous work uh whenever he was around and that's the thing i'll remember most of all but i also want to shout out uh to all the shitty puns that azarello put throughout (laughs) like there's like dumb like everyone speaks in dumb puns at times and i love it like i don't know some people thought that was really stupid but that's another thing I'll remember from this this run forever, and I I really enjoyed that. Zach, were you able to come up with a with a second favorite moment since I stole your thunder? I had I, it's been a while since I've read the run all the way through, but I do recall really enjoying the the story arc where when um, Wonder Woman had to th- there was that. I, oh, I see. I'm really fuzzy on it, but wasn't there a part where Wonder Woman was like semi betrothed to Hades? Yes. Yeah, and just like I just that art right? really sticks out in my mind, um, just because it was so interesting visually the way he um, depicted both Hades, the the god, and you know the underworld, just the, all of that. The um, candles. Yeah, the can like that whole that arc really stuck with me just visually. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe that's my follow up. Cool. Anything, uh, Walt? Since you're our guest, we'll give you the final word here. Anything else you want to say about the run? Uh, just you know about what we said before. You know, learn whatever is learned from it by future Wonder Woman creators. Let it be how to make a good comic, not necessarily. Uh, the idea that Wonder Woman needs to, you know, be wielding a sword or anything at that point, just you can still you can still get to what makes her great, and as well as both her and what surrounds her. Uh, but at the same time, whatever qualms there might be about whether or not this is a great Wonder Woman comic doesn't diminish the fact it's a great comic and that's a fact that's not an opinion (laughs) well said if uh if folks want to follow you on twitter walt uh to to get all your wonderful law school takes and um pokemon takes and uh the pokemon takes are wonderful they are law school takes are (laughs) well if people want to follow you for all that stuff where can they find you on twitter that would be at Waltor with an O and two R's at the end. Is there a particular story behind that, or is that just a clever... Uh... Uh, it goes way back uh, at this point, um, where when I was, I was in marching band, and a guy who later became a good friend of mine, who was a couple years older, uh, one of the first things he said to me was, if you were a Transformer, your name would be Waltor. <laughs> and then... Uh, unfortunately, Waltor with only one R was already taken. <laughs> so, and my last name is Richardson. Don't dox me, people listening. Uh, but so that worked fine because either way, whether you're reading it aloud or if it's Waltor R, works. See, we're getting we're getting exclusives left and right here. <laughs> this, this is this is my secret files and origins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Vince and Zach, where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. 
the NFL draft is over, so I'm safe to follow again. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Sir Fox 89 uh, I have abstained from my Pokemon hot takes. <laughs> and I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I have never had a Pokemon hot take in my life. Although I did pick up the Pokemon free comic book day issue on Saturday, because why not? It was free? It was free, exactly. <laughs> well, stay tuned now for uh, Cliff Chang, Vince, and I having some fun conversation. And we will see you guys in two weeks with the stunning conclusion of the New 52 in review. Good night, everybody. Hey, kids. Do you like comics? Do you like in-depth interviews with your favorite creators and interesting discussion about the medium? Do you enjoy different accents? Then chances are you're really going to like Orbital in Conversation. It's the podcast of Orbital Comics in Central London, where we bring you the best and the brightest in comics, and we do it all with a bit of fun, a bit of style, and a bit of panache. You can find us here on the Multiversity Comics Network every week. All right, we are joined tonight by the artist on the i think vince would you say maybe the best reviewed book of the new 52 well, certainly by me <laughs> yeah uh we have mr cliff chang here with us and uh cliff you were an editor at dc before you started doing uh visual work for them is that correct yeah that's right i was an assistant editor at vertigo for two years so how did that experience uh lead you into the um you know, like, how does that change your approach as an artist? Does it help you understand sort of the way things are made better? Like, you know, how, how did your influence, how did your uh, experience as an editor help you as the artist on the book? It helped tremendously. I think, you know, anytime you're working with a group of people, it's on you to learn what everybody else does so that you can make their job easier. So you can kind of anticipate, you know, whatever problems might, you know, happen. Um, for me, it was, you know, I got to learn how comics were made. You know, I, I got to talk with everybody in the production line. You know, I, I talked with colors, colorists and letterers and, you know, and saw scripts come in and then go back out to pencilers and see how it would come back. So it was really, um, you know, it was like grad school, you know, <laughs> or something, you know, or, and or, or for me as an artist, it was really interesting too, to see, you know, how, different artists would interpret the scripts and how, what their process, their different processes would be, you know? Um, one of the best things, um, I got out of being there is that, you know, I became friends with Walter Simonson and Walt, I, I spent like six months kind of, you know, as an apprentice to him after I left DC and saw really kind of the nuts and bolts of like what it's like to be a freelancer too. Cause I was familiar with like being on the other side of the desk, but you know, um, being on, you know, being a freelancer was a whole different thing. So, you know, I learned through Walt, you know, how to, how to tell a story, how to, you know, work on pages, uh, and, you know, and how to, you know, how to get very close to <laughs> my deadlines without, without blowing anything. It's pretty cool to be able to say you became friends with Walt Simonson. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, it's kind of something that used to just totally blow my mind. Just, you know, being, when I was at the, at the office, it's like the, all the different people I would talk to, you know, got to know Michael Moorcock pretty well. And, you know, and then guys like Derek Robertson and Duncan Fregredo and just this, you know, list of like really, really great, um, creators and being able to get to know them and, and be friendly with them and hanging out with them later is really great. Mm -hmm. Was there one of those artists that you feel was, you know, your, that you were truly apprenticing under is was Simonson the guy you feel like, you know, he, he helped you on the path that you're on right now. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, he definitely presents like a really great example, you know, of what, it, you know, of being like a great artist and then a great writer and, and, you know, just a legend and it's, um, you know, and the, he's so smart about the way he works as well. And, and that was something that I really picked up on and tried to emulate, uh, in my own, in my own way, you know, a lot of kind of the, the boring stuff, process stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it was actually, I, I gained a lot of that by working with Walt and then, you know, over the years it's changed and, you know, I, I probably don't work that similarly anymore, but, um, definitely when I was starting out, you know, Walt was like a touchstone for me to just always, you know, just in terms of like the quality and, 
you know, how would Walt approach this? And, you know, those kinds of things that I just picked up just by reading his books and, and talking with him about storytelling and things like that. So um, let's let's talk about sort of the genesis of the project. You know, the New 52 was such a crazy time because it seemed like there were a lot of books that were, um, you know, coming together relatively quickly and yeah. some that were very rushed. So how much lead time did you guys have on Wonder Woman before the September 2011 release date? <laughs> well, here's a story. Yes. Um, we, uh, Brian and I were supposed to work on The Batman uh, which was going to be come out of first wave and it was going to be a monthly retelling reimagining of Batman as a pulp hero. Um, you know, it was going to be, it was going to be Batman years one through five, you know, kind of thing, uh, where he starts off using a gun and is dealing with gangsters in Gotham city. And it was going to be pretty much a pulpy crime book. Um, and it was supposed to come out of the first wave um, miniseries. And uh, we, I think first wave didn't quite perform the way they, it, the way they wanted it to. So, but they still wanted the Batman book from Brian and I, and we just kept working away at it. And I think it was October of, um, I guess it was 2011, right? Because it's 2012 when, when new 52 happened. No, 2011 started new 52 boy all right well then it was 2010 <laughs> um that we were working on it uh we we're working with uh will dennis uh at vertigo um and uh, mark doyle uh, they were going to be the editors on it and we had a script i was about to start drawing it in october or november and they were like i was at i forget which which convention i was at um but they were like oh you're you're gonna do that just hold off a little bit and so they they delayed it you know they uh for like a couple months and then eventually a couple months became indefinitely and um you know we weren't sure when it became indefinitely was sometime in march um but in january azarello called me up one night he's like what what do you think of wonder woman <laughs> <laughs> and i said you know i don't, I don't know that uh, what, what are you talking about and then he's like well i just had dinner with dan and you know and uh he wants us to work on wonder woman and i was like well you know that's what's your take and he told me his whole you know take on it which would involve you know uh, wonder woman's origin being a lie and that she was born from you know, that she was a daughter of Zeus and Hippolyta. And that was, you know, it was a, it was an affair, one of Zeus's many affairs, but one that was truly was, um, it was true love for Hippolyta and Zeus. So Wonder Woman was, you know, again, a product of real love, but you know, the circumstances of it were terrible. So, um, you know, we spent the whole night kind of talking about our ideas for it and realize, you know, we're pretty excited about it. But at that point, Batman was still going, you know, like it was still, you know, an ongoing thing. So I thought about it for a day or two and I was like, you know what, we've been waiting on this Batman book for, I think maybe about a year, two years that we'd been talking about it. Um, because first wave started way before and, and I'd spoken with Brian about, you know, doing the Batman stuff. You know, about a year or two before then, and so it had been a long time coming, and it would seem like it was right around the corner. So I was like, "No, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to do this Batman book. It's going to be awesome." But you know, Wonder Woman sounds great too. I, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, yeah, and then you know, I think February rolled around, and they were like, "No more Batman, you guys. You know, I'm sorry, we're just going to we just put on hold until like 2015 or something. No, 2013. We're going to put on hold for." 12 you know for two years so 2013 like according to the mind calendar we're not going to make it past <laughs> like next year so all right and then you know i just kind of was out of you know i didn't have uh anything to work on i was actually and they had already started you know looking for artists on wonder woman and stuff i don't i forget who they had or who they'd been talking to but as far as i knew that like that project was gone so I, I really started to panic at that point, you know, and I called up the editor, um, Matt Idelson. I was like, look, what, you know, what can you tell me about this? And then, you know, and then I talked to Az and Az is like, yeah, I don't know. You know, we'll see. You know, I was like, you know, what's there to see? We, you know, it's 
three months ago, you know, you said Dan uh, wanted us to work on this. So. <laughs> but um, I think they were just, you know, they had, they had talked with uh, Tony Akins, uh, who ended up coming on the team as well. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so as didn't want to have to, you know, um, backpedal on that. But uh, we, uh, I think we had, it turned, you know, after a few days, uh, you know, I heard back from, uh, my editor, um, Matt, and he said, you know, yeah, we're, we're good to go. And, and that was, you know, it was great because we just had already like, you know, that huge conversation with all the ideas and we just, we just kind of went from there. So we really hit the ground running with it. Nice. Yeah. And but uh, that was like March. We... That was March. I think it was like C2E2 when we finally learned that they were going to be, when I was out with dinner, out to dinner with Brian and, and Didio um, that, you know, we learned it was going to be, you know, all number ones, all the books. And, you know, we just thought it was going to be our book, <laughs> mm. you know, but they kept everybody. So in the dark about it, it was, it was kind of amazing. So when they rolled out this huge plan, it was like, wow, you guys, you know, really thought about this. I don't know if we have enough time, but <laughs> you know, you guys are really, <laughs> you know, making a go of this. And so that was really like just it blew our minds, you know. And I don't think anybody had any idea how big the the idea was, you know, to to rewrite, you know, the DC history and uh, you know and, and try and do our best to bring in new readers. Yeah, um, and and something that's interesting about that story is is you get to see how quickly things change and and how sometimes. Uh, you know, you guys are even in the dark um, as to what's going on for a while. And, and that makes me think of the way the New 52 kind of went over its first couple of years. Um, what with crossovers and, and all these creative changes that were happening. Um, but Wonder Woman was kind of free of all that for the most part. I mean, I know you guys had to do some, some of those event months, um, Villains Month and things like that. But for the most part, you guys were were left to your own little corner. How did you get away with that? Uh, I think, you know, they liked the book. They they liked the story that we were telling, and it was very separate from the rest of the DCU by design, because you know this was about kind of creating a world for Wonder Woman, um, you know, and a, and a supporting cast for Wonder Woman that didn't involve you know batman and superman coming in and certainly didn't involve you know superman coming in as a love interest like we didn't <laughs> want to deal with any of that so you know it and it made for a better book i think if we had to address all the larger dcu stuff um you know it would have just felt wrong because of the tone that we had you know which was you know kind of part hellblazer part you know hellboy <laughs> yeah. and uh so yeah, it just you know, they, and they respected and liked what we did, what we were doing with the book. So they, you know, they they kind of left us alone. That's awesome. Was there anything? Was there anything they said no way on? Like any ideas you had that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny because it's it's something that I I feel like I see now in that they're doing in the movies. Uh, we wanted Wonder Woman to be, we wanted her to have been around since the '40s at least. Um, you know, perhaps even like World War One, where she was just kind of this folk hero that people talked about, but didn't, you know, no one really saw her, you know. And so that when she, you know, she's, you know, when she reveals herself, it's during World War Two. So she has this to let her have that kind of history. I mean, the great thing about your run, though, is that that could be like, nothing about your run says that couldn't be the case. You know what I'm saying? Like the the possibility is still, I guess, kind of there. Yeah, except for I think she says she's like 23 at some point. You know, and yeah. then like, <laughs> but you know, we wanted like great scenes. We wanted, you know, we wanted to uh, to have um, Steve Trevor like die at some point. Like, but Steve Trevor would have been like you know 70, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and that you know we would have seen you know his last moments with you know with Diana. Um, and that would have been nice. We wanted to kind of preserve as much of her history as possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that ended up not being, you know, what what they were looking for. They wanted something, they wanted to kind of turn over a new leaf with everybody so that, you know, that 
idea of her being around like it kind of just ran too counter to what they wanted uh, mm-hmm. overall for the line so i can understand the reasoning for it i, I kind of wish you know we'd been able to do it but yeah uh you know you mentioned tony before and you guys had such an amazing synergy together on the book where you know obviously you're different artists with different styles but there was something about the just the tone of the book that felt consistent even when the same artist wasn't necessarily doing back-to-back issues. Was that something you and Tony had to work on together, or was it just, you know, editorial doing its job? What was it that led to that book being so seamless? I think it's just that, you know, Tony and I, and, and then later Goran Sujika, um, we're all storytellers first. You know, we really want to do the script justice. And so, you know, with, with Brian writing it all and, and being such a, such a great storyteller, you know, it, it made our jobs easier in that, like, you know, we just had to do our, as, you know, as well as we could on the scripts and it would all hang together. You know, Tony, like myself is, you know, really interested in, you know, atmosphere and acting and, and, you know, so it, it all, you know, everyone just, everyone did their job, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's the way it's supposed to work. And no one had like any ego about it, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, like i don't know someone trying to like grandstand in any way so mm-hmm. that that's why it held together it's because we just wanted to tell the best story possible uh let's talk about the visuals of the book a little bit i know that a lot of the new 52 characters were redesigned by jim lee in terms of costumes and that but yeah. how much uh leeway did you guys have with the visual style of the book um a lot. They, you know, they, they kind of let us figure out and do what we wanted to do. I don't think there was any point where editorial said, no, that's too much or anything. I don't, but you know, maybe I just, maybe that's cause I didn't really push it far enough, but <laughs> we did want it to look like a vertigo book. We didn't want it to look like a superhero book. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and to give it, let it be a little creepier, uh, and a little bit less, I don't know cross hatchy, <laughs> you know, than, than, than some of the other uh, other books, you know, and and it works because like, look, if you want big superhero action, that's what you pick up Justice League for, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and if you wanted like, you know, a different story that focused on Wonder Woman, that's what our book was for. Was there a bit of design work that you're particularly proud of in terms of one of the looks of the characters? Uh, I mean, the the big thing that sets a tone i think for the book is like what the gods look like you know we really went into this kind of urban fantasy mode with it and tried to show gods in a way that wasn't so beholden to greco-roman traditions Mm -hmm. you know we really tried to think outside of the box of like what the gods personalities were and how we could visualize that you know with you know with the way they're they looked you know with their design with their clothing with their personalities and all that stuff so it you know doing all those gods i think was really there were so many of them to design but you know we could just kind of approach it one by one and you know i I was definitely happy with with how it all turned out but for me i think uh, drawing designing orion was probably my high point i really Ah. felt like i nailed something that was respectful of kirby but different yeah, totally. Uh, enough, yeah. That that was one of the um I think that was one of the standout characters too. I think I think one of the most memorable um be, because of how faithful it was and at the same time how how modern it was, I think. And I, I think that's um that can be said about most of the cast what was there's a very modern sensibility mm-hmm. going through it. Like um you know, Strife kind of reminded me of like uh a cosmopolitan party girl type. Yeah. I, was that intended? Yeah, absolutely. She was like this weird, you know, kind of drugged out supermodel. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and Hermes too had a, had a pretty, um, you know, modern haircut. And I think I actually, one, one thing that occurs to me is, uh, <laughs> uh, when I think about the costumes that, that you had Hermes in, have you ever seen Kanye West's like new clothing line? Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Like I, I look at that and I think he totally ripped that off of Ezra Chang's <laughs> Wonder Woman. 
Yeah, that was that was enough. funny. Yeah. I bet that's a comment you didn't expect to hear tonight. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not uh, expect anyone to bring parallels between Hermes and Yeezy. Yeah. <laughs> now that's a guest star that would have been really interesting in the book. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the funny thing about Orion is that I actually hadn't watched any of it, but um, a lot of the inspiration for uh, Orion is uh, Archer. Oh. So if you if you if you go back and read that <laughs> stuff and think about Archer delivering those lines, that that's the tone that that Orion uh, is in, which is why he's such like a you know kind of this lovable jerk um, throughout. You know, now I've watched the whole things. I've watched all the Archer episodes, so I'm, I'm all caught up and and you know realize how genius it is. <laughs> nice. I feel like we're getting some really interesting stuff here. Archer and uh, Yeezy and all that good stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, you guys did... How many issues did it wind up being? Uh, is it 30 or so? Uh, I think it was... In numbering, we got the 35, and then there's a zero, and then a couple, like, point, you know, one issues or something mm-hmm. like that. So we're like, we're, like, at 36 or 37 issues. Now. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty substantial run for modern comics, and I think it's it's a run that clearly has some nice, you know, um, they're very much, they're acts in it. You know, it's act one, act two, act three. If mm-hmm. you guys, uh, was there ever a conversation about going on longer? Or did you know you had a finite story to tell and you wanted to tell it and get oh, out? We had talked about it. I mean, definitely this was a finite story. And that this, you know, if we were to continue it, we would have just started over you know we started would have been a new you know a new story and you know with i mean we would have kept going with some of the loose ends and stuff like that but like the whole you know the whole thing would have been different um we had talked about maybe the last issue i loved this but this idea but like the last issue was supposed to be during the there was a five year later stunt Mm -hmm. i think near the end yeah, uh, and then we actually—I think we actually skipped a month, or something. We or there was like a fill-in or something like that in order to for us to not do it. Um, but I, I actually wanted our epilogue to be five years later, where one woman was telling the story to Zeke at oh. the end, you know, and then we see how you know um, Themyscira is is now integrated with you know the the men from. Um, you know, Hephaestus and, uh, and, you know, we can see how life has kind of progressed since then. That would have been very cool. And it, it would have been very unexpected to have the book end in that crossover too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a nice surprise for the readers. That would have been very cool. Well, Cliff, if people want to uh, follow your work now, you are obviously doing uh, some great work over at Image. Can you give our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the book a little bit of uh a description of what you're working on right now? Yeah, uh, I'm working on Paper Girls with Brian K. Vaughn, and it is a story about four 12-year-old girls, uh, paper delivery girls, in 1988 who encounter the story of the century, or all centuries, (laughs) (laughs) depending on uh, what your point of view is. But um, lots of crazy stuff happens. It's kind of a love letter to... 80s movies uh in some ways but at the same time um it's a uh cautionary tale about nostalgia so we're, we're kind of having our cake and eating it too um but with you know aliens and time travel and weird stuff uh pretty much on in every issue uh we're starting up again in june with issue six and uh you know it's been it's been a lot of fun i love working on the book it's really interesting that now that doing something create your own to how you feel just all this creative freedom that you can just kind of do whatever you want because you're making something new and you're not um for me at least i'm not burdened by like thinking you know about the history of a character like Wonder Woman, you know, as much as I loved working on that, I was always constantly thinking about like 70 years of publishing history and like, you know, certain people's expectations of what Wonder Woman should be. And then with this, I can let go of all that and just do whatever I think is cool and what I think is right for the characters. That's awesome. 
And if people want to find you on social media and the like, where would they do that? Uh, mostly I'm on Twitter uh, at uh, Cliff Chang. And then uh, my website is cliffchang.com. And there's probably some links on there to my other social media stuff. Excellent. Yeah.